The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Oh, it's a Monday. Lots of wins this weekend. ETSU women's basketball, a couple of dubs. ETSU men went over VMI. Standings, things that needed to happen for both teams, I think, uh, went their way. We'll talk about that. We'll talk ETSU women's basketball off the top. We'll talk men's basketball in our second segment. And then uh, we'll preview a little bit Wednesday. We're going to do a little fun Wednesday. We started yeah. to turn Wednesday into, is it fun, Fun's Day? I don't, I don't know. What, we got to call it something. Uh, I'll let you name it You're and put you on the spot. That way you have no time to prepare. Wednesday. Ooh, Wednesday. I like when, it. When we discuss our wins uh, or what would be, what would constitute wins. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, that's fine. We can make that up as well. We go, we go, it's we our go, podcast. We'll, we'll, we do, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do whatever we got. We'll, 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 um, before we get into um, – this I'm gonna I'm gonna talk, uh, you know, basketball. Went to a Hornets game, right? Saturday oh. had a rare Saturday. Studio was covered. You're on the road, uh, gallivanting around, you know, Alabama on your way to Georgia, whatever you're doing. So get a chance, get tickets, go watch. And I've been lucky because this year the two games I've gone to were the Lakers with LeBron, and he goes for forty plus or whatever. And on in route to obviously this year becoming an all time leading scorer. Then we get Djokovic, right? The Joker, he's got uh, back-to-back MVPs, averaging a triple-double. He goes for a mere 36, 18, and 10, uh, in which he played like 31 minutes, by the way, out of a 48-minute game. (laughs) I mean, just ridiculous. And knowing that, as always, when you go to these things live, NBA, NFL, NHL, whatever it is, MLB, the size and the speed sometimes doesn't do it justice when you see it on TV. Sure. And to see his spin move that you're sitting there looking at him, because on TV I'm like, God, why does that take so long and why does nobody stop it? But then when you see it live, it's like, holy cow, dude's a special man. But here's what I was going with all of this. Okay. We sit down, right? We we, we take a train in. Yeah. Uh, a uh, train? We, you took a train t- in America? Took a train or Metro, whatever. And so. Uh, that sounds like an amazing experience. From already. Waxhaw. Lovely, spacious Waxhaw, North Carolina, which is where Robert lives, Harper, Southern Porters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so take a train. We eat a little um, fancy, uh, like, food taco truck spot. We go into the arena. We got plenty of time. So they're giving away the free clappers and shirts. And there's a pregame uh, host. It's HBCU night. And so there's a lot of festivities going on. Uh, I believe Cold Steel did the halftime, which is North Carolina A&T's uh, drumline. Ooh. Spectacular, spectacular oh, yeah. show. Um, so ev- everything was going good. We're getting ready for the start of the game. I got I got the popcorn and the drinks for everybody, right, with free T-shirt night. I mean, it's just a lot going on. It's NBA. And right as we're about to tip, Rhett, one of my twin boys, looks at me and goes, Dad, I got a nosebleed. I look over, and it's it's starting to drip a little. And I'm like, all right, you know, put your hand over it. Let's run to the bathroom. So we get in the bathroom, and then we go from, like, a drip to, like, massive pour, right? So we're sitting there, oh, and there's nothing better than a Hornets game as everyone's coming in and out, try to use the bathroom. And I do enjoy that, like, most uh, uh, 
facilities, they have the radio call going for you at least. So at least I'm in the bathroom. We got the radio call. But we're sitting there, and it's like, I don't know, five minutes going a quarter. We're still there in the bathroom bleeding profusely. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to stop this. And a doctor happens to walk in and is like, hey. Uh, so he gives me a tip, and we try to do the um, figure out how we're going to get this thing stopped, settled, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, maybe I'll go to first aid. Well, on the second floor, as we've got a trying to pinch the nose with stuff hanging out of his nose, and again, blood's still coming. Second floor says, we're close. You got to go to the first floor. Well, that's like, well, okay, it's not bad because the escalator's right there. But it's first quarter, so the escalator's only going one way, which is up. So now I've got to find a staircase to go because, you know, I'm in a nosebleed seats here. As he's bleeding. I thought you get that. And so yeah, no, I, I, I got Then it. we got to run all the way down. Okay, we're running down. And by the time we get there, uh, and he's pinched his nose, and we find the place, and then uh, these people, it, it has made their day because they are sitting in this back room. They look miserable because there's no action. And I, other than there's, like, the game on TV in the back room because they're, you know, in the bowels of the building, right? And so – we get in there, and it's like a pit crew. They're like, one of them's picking them up, the other one's gloving up, the other one's getting some ice, the other one's getting some spray and stuff to get whatever. Well, because he had pinched and ran down and all that, and I'm, I'm making him run, uh, it has stopped for the moment. So they give us the ice pack, and I'm like, all right, we got 30 seconds in the quarter. I've missed the whole first quarter now. So we watched the last of the first quarter on the monitor in the first aid area. Then we leave. And we get about 10 steps out of there, and he says, Dad, it's bleeding again. <laughs> we got to go back in. So I missed the first quarter and probably a half uh, with what was, I think, the longest standing nosebleed I, I have seen in a while. How he wasn't lightheaded when we went back all the way up to the mm-hmm. top. But then we ended up, uh, did end up getting a stop. It was a great time, all that stuff. But uh, when I had things about, hey, I'm excited for uh, the Nuggets and the Hornets, I did, I did not. Uh, I did not see that see that happening. Now, we're. <laughs> I don't know what you want. Right, me to I, no, there's not. I, I just, I, I, it was. Uh, and he gets it. And the funny thing is, the doctor walked in his ear, nose, and throat, and I'm like, oh, he's, he's seen that. This is a allergy, whether it's too dry, whatever. Uh, that being said, like trying to find the first aid level on the second floor and getting the double whammy of a sign that says. We're on the first floor, you know, this station's closed. And then going to the escalator guy who tells me, oh, no, no, it's first quarter. It's only going up. <laughs> and then trying to find staircase. Why an active nosebleed's happening? It was fun. It was fun. That being said, we had a great time. Yeah. How how, how was your day? <laughs> it was fine. Non-bloody? Non-bloody? <laughs> yeah, no, there was no there was no bleeding. That, that, this was what? This was Saturday? Yeah, no, we didn't have any blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we, uh, no, no, the, the, the juices were flowing. Otherwise, though, I mean, ETSU with an adrenaline-packed game at Mercer. Uh, two buzzer beaters. Neve Brown off an offensive set in the uh, at the end of the second quarter. And then Sarah Thompson with the running, you know, top of the key, like half-court heave-style shot. But she was probably... NBA range three at that point, and it banked it in. Uh, that was when I knew that ETSU was not going to lose that game. Um, the first one, you're like, okay, great shot, great execution, 
you know, clock winding down and you get a shot up. It's a good look. You score it. Awesome. You're still only up 13 at Mercer. That doesn't feel insurmountable. When you're up 16 going into the fourth quarter, that's a little bit different. And the Bucks won the game by 16 as well. You know, it's funny. Brenda Mock Brown said after the Mercer game, I don't think Mercer's 14 points better than we are. And I was like, yeah, I would agree with that. And now on after Saturday, I, you have to agree with that, right? Because you went to their place and you beat them by more than they beat you here. So a great result. Uh, Ja'Kiah Davis was really good. Um, yeah, I thought the whole team was just phenomenal defensively. And they locked down the best players. And, and really, they locked down the paint. You look at it, Mercer only had, I think it was 12 points in the paint the whole game. They were forcing six foot five Brittany Reeves to take baseline jumpers. And when you're forcing the biggest player in the Southern Conference off the block to get any kind of chance to score, you're playing fantastic interior defense. And that means that Gonzalez can't get to the rim and Neil Tyser can't get to the rim and, and Haupt can't get to the rim and get those easy shots that are going to let them score effectively. They're forced to take lower percentage shots, and that worked. Neil Tyser was with 3 of 14. Um, Gonzalez was, uh, I don't even know, I think maybe 4 of 14. So there were 7 of 28 combined. Haupt didn't even get a ton of looks at threes either. That um, was a great defensive effort from ETSU to hold Mercer to 46. And I said, I think I said this on the Monster. I might have said it on the pod. ETSU, if they come away two out of three on the road, you really feel like this team is in a position to contend in Asheville. Well, they won two out of three. So I believe they did what I said they needed to do to be looked at as a contender going into Asheville. So ETSU is a Southern Conference championship contender. I don't know that we could have said that or even that we could have imagined that on October 1st. November 1st, as we got closer to the start of the season. I don't think that was even in the realm of imagination. Okay, top half SoCon finish, you know, 16-17 wins would be a really good year. Well, now they're the 10th team in school history to win 19 or more games. All of the others went on to win 20. They they have the program record for the largest single-season turnaround at 13 wins. They are favored by the Massey rating system in all of their four remaining regular season games. If they go chalk, according to Massey, they would tie the single season record for wins by ETSU women's basketball before we ever start talking about Asheville. So this is a a fantastic moment for this program. And I really hope folks turn out on Thursday when first place Wofford comes to Brooks Gym because it's going to be an absolute battle. I think the, first of all, the half-court shot that went in, not half-court, the halftime shot that went in, um, the mark out from you was impressive because I had uh, Robert and a few kids in another room come in and thought we hit a buzzer beater to win the game, and I was like, it's halftime. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you knew it was uh, – uh, that's how I, I judge my good calls. I, I don't know how, Keith, you judge yours. I, I judge mine by, <laughs> did I fool people on that or not? Um, I, I judge mine did, by when my voice cracks, does it add to the call or detract from the call? Uh, yeah, that's fair. You know, when puberty hits, it's tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought 
again, it's the second straight game that uh, ETSU Mercer, just sticking with that before we go over a few other things, that the Bucks have done a good job of getting Neil Tyser in foul trouble. Right? She fouled out of the game, um, 27 minutes of action, uh, 3 of 14, a little bit of a struggle bus there. Halp, the first time, I think, what, had 14 free throw attempts. Got that down to four this time. Bucks perfect, 10 of 10 from the line. I had a real concern um, about rebounding, and that was not even remotely. Bucks were plus eight on that. I mean, there were a lot of things that I personally had concerns about uh, the athleticism, Mercer, the rebounding. You know, Neil Tyser and, and Hopped had their way the first go around, and none of that really played out. ETS, I guess maybe the start of the fourth quarter, the run of Mercer, that was it. They had a little bit of a run there. But ETSU dominant, I thought, in both wins um, this past weekend. And to sweep that and to sort of make the statement of, you know, look, now they still got to hold serve this weekend or, you know, uh, Wofford-Furman. And then they got to go on the road to UNC Western Carolina, which, again, mm-hmm. as Keith said, they're already favored. But still – I don't know the ETSU is deep enough just to get off the bus to win, right? They still got to play well in all of those games. They still have For to sure. be able to For shoot. Absolutely. You got to go earn it. And But everything that kind of needed to happen in front of them, because now you're talking about the huge jumble. You know, obviously Chattanooga has the tiebreaker versus ETSU. We're talking women's again, if you're just tuning in to the pod. And didn't pay attention to the time that I'm going to put on there when we talk about the men. But Wofford's at 7-3. and three. ETSU won that first matchup. ETSU split with Sanford, who's seven and four, and then at seven and three is Chattanooga, who swept ETSU. So obviously the Bucks would have to make up two games on Chat without playing Chat if you're looking at regular season type championship numbers, if you will. Now they could still tie for the regular season and all that, but I'm just talking about seeding. I'm not talking about you know if you share a regular season, can you cut down the nets? Can you get a ring? Sure, all that's fine. I'm just talking about for seeding purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the sake of this. And it would be something if they did share the title, even if the tiebreaker went to, to Chattanooga, right? But they get a chance to do play Wofford again this weekend. And where's that Thursday? I guess it's the Thursday game. They got Wofford That's up Thursday, next, yeah. right? Got, got got Wofford up Thursday. Got a chance to make a little noise. But Wofford chat 7-3. Sanford right there at 7-4. Then ETSU at 6-4. and four. Then you've got Mercer – at six and five, kind of hanging around, and then UNCG five and six, and then Furman and, and uh, Western at the bottom, you know, pretty much out of all contention at, at two and eight and two and nine. But Mercer at six and five, still not out of the possibility. Now they've only got three games left, where um, you know a few teams have four games left. ETSU and Chad have four games left for Mercer Sanford. They've obviously got three left. So there's some some play there, but that it's still a little bit of a jumbled standing where ETSU. In theory, could could finish for a tie in first if things broke the right way, right? They could legitimately win the regular season title. But if they had something not go well, you know, the next uh, four games, maybe drop a couple there, they could fall away down to like a five seed. So there's still a lot to be settled in the Southern Conference tournament. The only thing that I think that I've learned is so far, what I thought the two bad matchups for ETSU was Chattanooga and Mercer now I believe is down to just maybe Chattanooga and I don't know that that's particularly a bad matchup it's just the fact the Bucks haven't shot the ball well in the two games they played well I, I think also ETSU is is running into situations where other teams are having worse injury luck with their stars 
The Bucs that, lost Jalen Rufus-Milner for the season, but J.J. was a rebounder and not a scorer. And that's something that I talked about this uh, on the pod last week on Friday is ETSU as a team has rallied and sort of uh, closed that wound that J.J.'s absence leaves on the floor for the Bucks. And I think it's honestly, it's made them a better team uh, as a result uh, having to you know, to rally, to to not just be able to lean on a really great rebounder who just anticipates the ball. Well, you got to work for it. You got to earn it. And they've been able to beat teams on the glass. But now, Amori and Neil Tyser's been banged up. And she's in a position where she was not herself on Saturday. And not all of it was ETSU's defense. The leg was still clearly bothering her. Uh, there were a couple times where she was hobbling around a little bit. And uh, she just, you know, didn't look crisp at all that's going to have ramifications for Mercer. Summa Evans was in a boot and on crutches. That's not a great sign with four games or three games left in your season before the conference tournament. Her season could be over. Um, Sanford, Andrea Bailey got hurt needlessly leaning into Giselle Thomas to get fouled on a three-point shot against DTSU. She was hobbling around after that, had to come out of the game. She didn't play against Chattanooga and Sanford scored 55 points. So... We're now at a point where some of the best players in the league, and you hate to see it, right, because you want to see the stars shine, but some of the best players in, in the SOCON that aren't on ETSU's roster are being sidelined or hampered or bugged due to injuries, and ETSU, knock on wood, has not lost a high-end scorer to injury, a player that offensively they need to be out there uh, in order to win at this juncture of the season, and I think that's helped them out a lot. Um, is because it, it just creates better matchup opportunities when you take a major piece out of the lineup for Sanford. You take a major piece and, and put her on the bench for, for Mercer. Um, you know, those are, um, those are things that ETSU hasn't really had to deal with yet. And as long as they don't, I think the Bucks have a really good shot at, at winning, um, winning uh, some more games, rattling off some more wins, and positioning themselves really well for the SoCon seed. You obviously, you don't have complete control of your own destiny. You get, you sort of gave that up when you got swept by Chattanooga. That, that, that happens. But Chattanooga is also the only team that swept ETSU this year. Nobody else can. Um, if Chattanooga, Chattanooga has to lose two of its last four, that's maybe a bit of a tall ask, tall task, big ask, whatever phrase you want to use. It's a challenge, and it's something you don't have control over. But if you keep winning, the worst that can happen is you finish second. And the two seed has plenty of times won games and gotten to the SoCon Championship and been a factor in winning the Southern Conference Championship, and sometimes they've won it. So, I mean, there's there's no reason to think that the two seed couldn't pull it off if that's where ETSU ends up. Uh, I think this team is a contender, and I think because that part of that is because outside of JJ, uh, they haven't had anybody that missed any considerable time, and they have been able to adapt to the absence of their most important on-floor leader and also their best overall rebounder. They've been able to, to um, at the very least from an X's and O's standpoint, replace JJ's production. They can't replace her intangibles, but they can replace her production collectively in the aggregate through like four or five players. 
And I tell you what, Journey McDaniel's starting to look like herself again. That's a big that's a big part of why uh, you know she missed a couple games with an illness in the middle of the the middle of December there, and then came back and she's a little bit rusty. You know, but now we started to see her get a lot more uh, aggressive on the glass. Seems like her timing is back. She's got the confidence in her jump shot again, even though it's not gone in all the time. It's still something that she is willing and able to go up and, and, and fire away on. And Megan Downing as a freshman, career high nine rebounds against Samford. I thought she was pretty solid again uh, in limited minutes against Mercer. Those players are contributing meaningfully to this team off the bench, on the glass, where they needed contributions. They needed players to step up, and they got it. And I don't know that you can really ask Mercer as a team to step up and replace Amori and Neil Tyser. I don't, you definitely can't ask Samford to step up as a team and replace Andrea Bailey. If those players are hurt or limited, it's going to be a long February and a very short March for those two teams that a lot of people thought at the beginning of the year were conference title contenders. You look at Thursday, there's Wofford, ETSU, Furman at chat, right, because it's a travel partner game. Yep. After that, everybody will have three games left. So you'll the standings will take – even though they're – Pretty good shape right now because you're either talking about with Wofford and Chad each at seven and three, right? Yep. They could get to eight and three and then have a titanic battle in the roundhouse. They both could lose a game, right? Seven and four, ETSU wins. That puts them at seven and four. With Sanford, now you got a four-way tie yeah. atop the standings. And and suddenly at that point, I mean, you're, you're you're what you want is you keep winning and Wofford keeps winning. And if if that happens because you you own the sweep. You own the season tiebreaker against the Terriers. You you want to beat Wofford, and then Wofford goes and beats Chattanooga and just keeps winning games because you have no problems with Wofford at that point, standings-wise. And uh, even, you know, cutting down the nets is one thing. I would love to be able to sit here and say this team won a Southern Conference championship, even if it's a split one, even if it's not outright, to say this team won a SoCon championship. I really feel like it's what their work their work ethic deserves at the end of it all, whether it happens or not. Uh, but yeah, you want Wofford to keep winning once you beat them, if you beat them, when you beat them in Brooks Gym on Thursday, you need them to to be the team that kind of helps you out a little bit and gets you back in a spot where you are in control of your own destiny again. I have to do to convince you to throw that holding flag on Bradbury last night? Like, how how much would you have to have your arm twisted to throw that flag in that moment that decided the outcome of the game? Uh, I don't know. It was, uh, we I saw it live. I actually yelled at the thing. I said, "Oh, they held them," and then I thought they weren't going to throw the flag because you know it's the Super Bowl. They hardly that it is well documented 
that the number of flags in the Super Bowl are well under what a normal game and even a playoff game is. That's the one thing that I always enjoy is the amount of illegal contacts that they call during the regular season. And it's called that way during regular season. Then you get into the playoffs, and you might see one or two. Then you get in the Super Bowl, and you see none. It's like, did everybody figure out how to play at that point? Is it you know, So it's always been a little bit laughable. It's always favored. And for a team that I pull for, specifically in the New England Patriots, they got away generally with murder in the playoffs, which yeah. is why they changed a lot of it and why the illegal contact uh, was actually invented because the way they would, in the playoffs, basically manhandle people. And then it was still called in the regular season, but team still can play because it wasn't called in the postseason. Mm-hmm. When I saw the replay, I was a little less – but, again, I saw the replay. Uh, it was a little less egregious. Now, for our good buddy John the Baptist, who we've had on here before, who is a Philadelphia Eagle fan, um, during the college football playoffs, there were some questionable calls for a team I like, and he kept – sending me messages uh, about, you know, the calls. So I'm not going to say I didn't smile and send in a, you know, a, a text message to him about his beloved Philadelphia Eagles and how it felt to be on the other foot, in which he has not responded yet. I don't know. Um, I don't think he's going to. I, I think he will. <laughs> and oh. I, think, I think it's going to be with some, uh, some disdain and um, – some vigor and some words that we can't repeat on air at some point, but uh, I mean, we can repeat them. We just have to bleep it in post. That's true. I guess we could do it, but I, we could. It, it was it, it it was one of those calls that you generally I don't think see in that moment, and then you could argue, um, you know, because I saw the explanation later about it, and you know he impeded and grabbed or whatever, but it was one of those. The ball was so overthrown. I know the holding is before the pass interference, and you get them the minutiae of all the whys and why nots, but it's one of those I think you would have rather have let go. They kicked the field goal, and then Philly had a chance to see what's going to – I did enjoy Philly was going to let him try to score, and at the last second McKinnon ended up uh, sliding or whatever because uh, at first I thought he was going to run in. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? Why would you do that? And then um, – but, yes, I would not have thrown the flag if that's – I'll also say I think that's something that the NFL should take a look at, that is, is deliberately not scoring. I feel like – they should probably change that rule. Like, I, maybe maybe it's time to take on the arena football rule where you must attempt a forward play every down. Eliminate the victory formation. Just to prevent situations where it's like, well, a team is deliberately not going to score because that isn't really a good faith way to play the football game, I think. I mean, maybe maybe it's a little, maybe that's a little spicy. But, uh, or maybe you can be in victory formation if it's a two-score game, or or, or or something that's. I think you just you just if you you are anti-victory formation, huh? If you are if you are going to run out the clock, give it to the fullback. Give it to the fullback. Run, keep running, just run the ball, run the clock. Uh, I think that's something that could. I it's something that I would not be mad if it went away. Put it that way. Would not be mad if that went away. So. Um, cause then Philadelphia gets the ball back in a position with a chance to at least answer. They might not ultimately win the game, but they have a chance to answer and it takes away, you know, the, the possibility that that penalty flag decides the game. So I just, I, I think it's a, there's a lot of structural stuff. I thought it was a really light penalty. I didn't, it was, it didn't seem egregious to me. If you're not water skiing behind the guy, I'm not throwing that flag in that moment. I'm gonna let I, I'm gonna let the game play out. Um, 
especially when they hadn't been throwing flags for anything remotely close to that all night long. At just like why does the why does the the landscape or the state of play change on the most important play of the game? I just I don't know. That was it was it left a really sour taste in my mouth, but I already uh didn't want to watch the Super Bowl. I I did so reluctantly because my fiance made an unbelievable spread of snacks for the game. Uh, worked really hard on it all day, and uh, we sat down and watched. And uh, after about, I think we had about five minutes of actual game time, and then probably three times that much in commercials. I was ready to go do something else. <laughs> I just it's so overstuffed. It just really felt like, I don't know, like a. It it didn't really feel like a football game. There was no flow to it. Until the end. And then there was a little bit at the end. There was a little bit of a rhythm at the end. But did, did halftime have a flow? I didn't watch it. Well, I never, wa- I never watched it. I haven't watched. Watch watched Puppy Bowl. What do you do? Uh, I went and played video games, and I, I missed the whole third quarter as a result, and I was fine with it. <laughs> I came back right at the start of the fourth quarter. I, I have the last time I watched wow. the halftime show was the weekend, uh, and that was okay. Uh, but for the last, you know, eight nine years, it hadn't really done much for me. I think the last halftime show. Before that, that I watched its entirety was just. Is, is, this, is this your take on all pro sports or just NFL? Uh, just NFL, I think, because the NFL is the one that's most bloated with spectacle, and we've kind of lost it. It's like it's like it's commercials and a and a concert where a football game happens to be played. Well, and and again, it always goes back on the natural surface, right? It's oh, and that surface was bad. It's got all the paintings and that was the Toyota Stadium and in Frisco get, levels of bad. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that. That's one of those things too that I think always uh, shows itself because it's either if it wasn't chewed up before that, with all the stuff they roll on and off for halftime, yep. then it gets chewed up again at some yep. point. The I'll say that I thought Kansas City and Philadelphia played a great football game that will not be remembered as the great football game because of the way it ended. But also, their talent was evident in spite of everything, all of the hoopla and all of the stuff that tries to take you away from the football game. Hey, look over here. Hey, look over here. Now look over here. Now look over here. Here's Maya Rudolph doing an awful M&M's commercial for some reason. Here's a Tubi commercial where it looks like your dog chewed up your remote. I don't know. Like, those sorts of things that try to distract you from football. Everything that tries to take your attention away from the football game. Even with all of that, Kansas City and Philadelphia's ability to play great football was evident. So I, I think to, to rise above the distractions of the spectacle and still be great uh, is really an impressive statement on the caliber of those two teams. And I am very intrigued to see what uh, Philadelphia's cap journey looks like in the offseason. I, but I hated I hated ending the game on a holding penalty. I am interested in a poll on if Keith Brake is un-American for his take on the Super Bowl and hating the Super Bowl. I just want to watch. I, I just want to watch the football game. Maybe man. not un-American because it's a global, as you say, it is global. It's a whole. I mean, they're showing all the watch parties in Brazil and Europe, and it, so it's a global thing. Not, I don't know what it is. Are you? You're anti-something. Uh, I am anti. I'm anti. Standing on ceremony and self indulgence. Self indulgence. Okay, I'm that's that's what I'm. I'm anti of that. I don't. Yeah. Okay. In All the right. words of Rihanna, "Shut up and drive." Take us to the next segment. 
I think I'm going to go ahead and hit another bumper. Cause I oh, you want to hit another bumper? I do. I need to. I'm going to go ahead and mark that as its own segment. Its own segment? Yeah. It is. It is. I'm going to try not to spill. Keith hates Super Bowl. Let's uh, spill the Super Bowl. Over. I hate what the Super Bowl has become. Don't just say, I hate the Super Bowl. That's all I heard. We'll let the, we'll let the, the people we'll let the people decide what they heard. All right. It's <laughs> ETSU VMI, right? There was a basketball game Friday there night. There was a it basketball was a, game, yeah. It was um, uh, a win for ETSU. DeAnthony Tipler was back. ETSU actually, uh, four feet and in, was 11 of 14. How about that? A little change of pace as far as uh, getting buckets and shot the ball very well. VMI shot it enough to kind of stay in a, a, a puncher's range of it, but ETSU ended up hanging on uh, to the victory. Jordan King, 18 points on 7 of 15. Jalen Haynes was 4 of 8 for 12. Justice Smith got off to a quick start with a couple of threes. I thought he played tremendous. And then, again, Jaden Seymour does just what he does now. Now that he's not taking, you know, four or five threes a game. Three of five from the floor. He was one of two from three, one of two from the line, eight rebounds, eight points, two assists, two blocks. He had the best plus minus of anybody on the team, if you believe in that category, plus 12. And so, I mean, just continuing to do things. The the hard part for me was ETSU again, even though they won the battle on the glass, was minus nine in second chance points and lost points off turnovers. So, I like to combine – like to combine those as my miscellaneous stats but when you look at it and they get 35 compared to 23 right they're plus 12 in those categories and to me that's a huge difference in any game if you are giving up more points off turnovers and more second chance points especially in double digits now ETSU didn't you know they won by four but in the same token that should have me to me I thought the way that the game felt and the way it was going it should have been a 12 to 15 point win I'm not trying to downplay you should feel bad about ETSU winning. I'm just saying it felt like ETSU dominated the game enough to be a 12-15 point victory, but because of those two categories, which does make a huge difference in the game, we've seen ETSU lose games because of getting decimated in those categories. Mm-hmm. I still think they got to figure out, and it's not even – and I gave up 14 offensive rebounds, and I thought that was way – way too many against VMI. He's not particularly a great rebounding team. And some are long rebounds because they shoot a lot of threes. But in the same token, um, the efficiency that they allowed them to score, 14 rebounds and 19 – again, a point per offensive rebounds about normal, average across basketball if you look at it. And then a point per turnover is about average. And you let them get over those averages in both those. 16 points off the 14 turnovers, 19 second chance points off the 14 Offensive rebounds. Now, it was good to see Tipler back. He did look a little rusty shooting, but four steals, one of the best plays, uh, hustle play, where he's diving out of bounds to save a ball, to keep the possession. So, I, I think it's good to have him back, get another game in him. Josh Taylor supposedly is going to be reevaluated later this week, so there's a shot maybe you get him back, not just for the Commerce Tournament, but there's an outside shot you may get him back a little sooner. We'll talk to Coach yep. Oliver tonight on the Coach's Show about that. I, I did, for what it's worth. I saw him around the dome today. He gave me a fist bump with the wrist, with the hand that he broke the wrist of, and uh, the, there was no cast. There did not appear to be a cast on it. So, so he, he's he's moving in the right direction. I you know, and VMI is what they are. They, they've got ten guys that are dressed mm-hmm. out. There's a lot of freshmen. Their top five guys are going to lead them in scoring. They did in that game as well. Mm-hmm. They're an academy. They're going to keep fighting. 
every second of every day because that's what they're trained to do. And, that, and that's why they're sometimes it's hard to beat them and blow them out. And I'm not taking anything away from the effort of EMI. And ETSU desperately needed a win after, you know, a couple of games where they didn't play particularly well first halves. They were able to win now, and this is hard to say, what, what, but back-to-back home games, right? They finally won back-to-back home games. They've got two more next week. But this is a nice little stretch on the road for them. They go to the two purple places. They go to Western Carolina Wednesday and then Sunday on national TV versus uh, Furman. So my take, good to see ETSU get a win. It was good to see DeAnthony Tipler back. ETSU still got to figure out a way to be a little better, especially when they take on a team that can flat out shoot the basketball in Western Carolina and give up offense. I don't know if Claude's playing or not. He's missed the last two games. Yeah. And that could change some things for them. But they're definitely can't get beat on the glass. They can't give up more points off turnovers Wednesday and Cullowee. No, I, I completely agree. I, I think if you do that, if you give up that many points off turnovers, you're probably going to end up giving, giving up more points off turnovers than that because it means um, – Trey Jones is going to hit a lot of threes. He's going to hit a lot of them. He's going to live up to his name. He had, was it? They had a, a forty-point score and a thirty-point score in the same game last week. Western Carolina did, and they are absolutely the team that you cannot afford to turn the ball over against because they will light you up in transition with threes, with Woolbright getting to the rim. Um, it's, it's just a, a really impressive balanced attack, but also an attack that when two, when one or two guys need to take over the game, just they're working, everybody gets out of their way and lets, lets them work. I, I think it's a team that's much more in sync than it gets credit for, even though they've had some weird results. Um, it does feel like they are moving toward something, building towards something over the next... 18 months, I think it'll be very interesting to see what kind of steps forward that Western Carolina program takes. But uh, in the meantime, it's also a team that is capable of, as I say, you know, they have so much scoring. It's also the team in the SOCON that I think is perhaps most capable at this point in time of laying an egg. It is the team that is most capable of going four of 26 from three and not winning a game that they probably should have won, that they probably had the talent to win as a result. Well, and we talk about their three-point shooting. Well, they hit three threes against Furman, and they got trounced. Now, the one thing I'll say, I was impressed really with Weston the first go-around was the fact that Russell Jones Jr., who ETSU played a couple times at Winthrop, was flat-out dominant and was all over ETSU, especially trying to dribble the ball up the court, no matter who was the acting point guard at that time, whether it was Struthers or King. Uh, and I think even Tipler. Uh, yeah, Tipler even played in that one. It was 4 of 10 with 8 points. So uh, all yeah. those guys were hounded by him. And he went for 21. You know, Trey Jackson's – Modest 17 considering the numbers he's been putting up. 40, whatever it was, 41 and 27 back to back. That's a Trey Jones earlier. It's Trey Jackson and Russell Jones Jr., and they both shoot it pretty well. If you still combined them, they're a heck of a player, too. Absolutely. They're even better. But Jackson had 47, and Woolbright had 30 in the win over Wofford. Yeah, so Jackson's last two, because he had 27 at Furman. So he's gone for 47 and 27. Yeah. His last two, he had 17 the first matchup against ETSU. Woolbright went for 14 
Uh, four at 12 to go with his nine rebounds and six assists. Yeah. So, so think about this. As a team against Wofford, Western went 11 of 31. And three days later against Furman, they went three of 15. Underscoring my point, this is the team that is most capable of just all at once shooting the lights out and shooting 45% from three and running you out of the building. And also the team that's most capable of tripping themselves up by just not being able to hit shots. They're the team that's most reliant on their ability to to score, I would say. That that sounds silly because, like, oh, well, no, you have to no. score points to win basketball. But this is a team that is – if if the shots are going in, if they're then scoring they're fine. fifty nine or sixty, they're not stopping anybody exactly. to win fifty nine fifty five. Exactly. They don't they don't have a really robust defense to fall back on to help them win a lot of those tighter games. And this is a, a huge game because now we're we're going to rotate uh, transition. Maybe not rotate. We could rotate. We transition. How about that? To the the standings because again the top three are right there, all twelve and two, taking them out of play. Furman, Sanford, UNCG. UNCG still got to play Furman uh, and Sanford. Actually, Sanford's got to play Furman and UNCG. UNCG and Furman's already played twice. Yep. Yep, yep. Western Carolina is only a game up on Chattanooga and ETSU, so this is monumental for ETSU. If they win in colorway, that drops Western to 7-8. and eight. ETSU goes to 7-8. and eight. And then for Chattanooga, they're VMI, and assuming they win that one, they're going to be at 7-8. and eight. So now you're a three-way tie, but all three of those teams – would stay a game above, at least a game above Wofford and Mercer to stay out of that Friday first-round matchups. Mm-hmm. Because we know right now it's Citadel 4-10, and 10, right? They're two games back from not, you know, getting out of Friday, and they're going to host Furman. I'm going to go on a limb and say Furman's probably going to win that contest, <laughs> right? Mercer and Wofford play each other. So the loser of that one's going could be two games back again if ETSU wins and if Chattanooga wins. Now if ETSU doesn't beat West Carolina, the Catamounts stay a game in front of everybody for that fourth spot, mm-hmm. right? I'm still going to assume Chattanooga's going to win seven eight. But then the winner of that Mercer Wofford, and if you're an ETSU fan, you want Wofford to win that because you own the two game tiebreaker, and you would still be in the Saturday matchup. Yep. If Mercer wins that game, now you don't win the tiebreaker. Now all of a sudden you're the seven seed. Right, having to play early. So not only does ETSU need to win Western just because it's the next opponent, obviously, and they want to try to tie with Western, but they don't want to have to play that is Wofford going to win at home or is Mercer going to win at Wofford. Right. And then UNCG and Sanford play. But, again, that doesn't really affect a lot except for who's in the top three. And and, and not downplaying that, but I think if UNCG could win that, they're starting to solidify themselves. Um, I still like Sanford at home. They're scoring – you know, we may break some of these down a little bit more on Wednesday. But you look at the standings, and, and again, you, you get to mid-February, right, and you, you got a big jumble there. There's a lot of things that got to be worked out. But this Wednesday, for sure, there's a lot of things because if ETSU could beat West Carolina, they're going to turn around Sunday and play Furman. If you drop the West Carolina, then you got to go to Furman again. Right. Uh, that, that, that could really, really – turn to a couple losses real quick now all of a sudden you're you're trying to hope and pray that you can get out of that Saturday matchup but I think if they can beat Western Carolina even if they drop Furman they're in a good spot to stay out of Friday play Saturday and again it all depends you know Chattanooga's yes they've got VMI but their next game is UNCG right that's not a cakewalk for them either and then Western Mercer place so maybe get a little help from Western Wofford's at the Citadel you assume Wofford maybe but 
they've had a game or two where they've struggled, and the Citadel at home has certainly proven that they can knock some teams off. I look at the sh- the state of play, and I see uh, uh, if ETSU wins this game on Wednesday, I, I don't want to say that they're, they're a mortal lock or anything, but they have to feel really, really comfortable about their ability to stay off of Friday in Asheville. And that's something that I think, given the nature of the season, we can probably look at and say, all right, I can I can live with that to start. Yeah, you know, would you and you'd like to win a game in the tournament? Uh, I, I think, you know, what we define as a successful season, because it's interesting, you know, expectations for women's basketball at the beginning of the year were kind of like, well, just take a step forward, you know, grow, maybe you tread water. If you're 500 at the end of the year, we're not that mad. It seems like a good, you know, it's a young team. There's a lot of years of eligibility on the table. We're I thought they could maybe finish fifth, right? That would be a good year. Yeah, finish maybe, top half maybe. of the SoCon, yeah. and you're feeling pretty good. And yeah. now expectations have changed where, hey, this team's going to – this team should probably be, you know, playing late into an Asheville run. Um, for the men's team – we were kind of hopeful that you'd be middle of the pack. Well, they're they're in that mix right now. Fourth place is is the ceiling of what is achievable, and then you see what happens. Um, you know, I, I think that that's very interesting how those dynamics shift and what expectations are depending on what point you are at and when you evaluate things, what you expect, what's realistic. Um, I look at. Wofford and their remaining schedule and they do go to the Citadel which, to your point El Cid can win games at home although they did lose to Chicago State that was still amazing when Hassan Black stormed the court to celebrate with with <laughs> with the Cougars love it um they have Chattanooga uh and then they also have Mercer and they've lost four in a row it feels like a team that's maybe kind of running out of gas are they a team that now that they've lost some games, now that they've lost some games by a lot, I mean, they lost to Furman by 13. They lost to ETSU by 25. They lost a double overtime to Western at home. They go on the road. They play okay against UNCG, but they don't win that game either. They lose this one to Mercer. Do they pull up stakes? Because the interim coach, you know, it's there's been a lot of turmoil inside the program um, or a lot of reasons to just kind of fold. What do they do with it? Uh, how do they respond to the adversity? Uh, you look at you know, Mercer. I think they're kind of in the same boat as Wofford in terms of their remaining schedule. They still have to play the Citadel, but they also play Western Carolina and Furman. So if you if you win this game against Western, and let's say you drop Furman, you beat the Citadel, you go into a situation where you, you probably – already have secured a spot on Saturday before you take the floor against UNCG, which would be great. Um, Just stay off Friday, take a step forward. That's what we're looking for at this point in time. And if you win this game, that this puts you a long, long way toward being where you want to be, which is not Friday, right? And and you just kind of go from there. So the expectations 
of what this team should do, what this team can do, are obviously different than they were at the beginning of the season when you had you know that three and one start, and we were thinking, hey, you know, this this group when they're all on the floor together, they're pretty good, they're all healthy, and then we went through a long stretch of the season where they weren't all healthy, and they're still not all healthy. But Josh Taylor, we'll see how soon he gets back. If he's back for UNCG, maybe that game's a little bit different. Um, but overall, I think what you're looking at here is get one of two on the road, see what you can do at home, see how you can get everybody healthy to position yourselves for the conference tournament. And from there, just do whatever you can do to not have to play that extra game on Friday. That Wednesday's huge. First of all, I was talking to Bruce about it, uh, Tramberger. We've seen teams get to the championship game that's played on Friday. Sure. Or in the old days, Thursday to Sunday, whatever it is, yeah. play four in a row, right? Sure. That being said, we've not seen anyone win it yet. So you can get there, but at some point, the legs, the, the amount of minutes played in a four-day stretch is just almost insurmountable. So to get that extra day, right – to not have to play Friday, to try to get things going. Plus, if ETSU could get Saturday, let's just play the what-if game. I like what-if games. What if Josh Taylor is back and is healthy? What if Anthony Tipler gets back into, um, I don't want to say playing shape because that's not really right, just uh, get game shape maybe, um, and has you know a normal you can count on 10, 11, 12 points a game from him. Taylor gives you another body, gives you a defense, gives you rebounding. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility if you get to that six seed or even the four or five game. You know, you get in a four or five game, you know, yeah, you get the number one seed, but, you know, depending on who that is in the matchup, or if you're six, you know, do you get a UNCG or Sanford that maybe you have a decent matchup against to get to Monday in Championship Monday, right? If you're not playing the fourth game, all bets are off, right? You just need for 40 minutes to figure out a way to put it together. And the one thing we know about the Harris-Cherokee Center, or whatever the name's been over the years, is that ETSU and Blue and Gold, if you're on that championship Monday, the people will come, and it will be a home game. There are very few teams that ever bring more people than ETSU. And I know a lot of people are like, well, we don't want to be a home game. Well, it's not necessarily a home game. It's going to feel like a home game, but we're not in Freedom Hall. You're going to be in Asheville. The Bucks have already played a couple games there. They played high pressure game there. Uh, yes, they are familiar with the court and everything. Else. Uh, no, miss me with the we don't want it to be a home game thing. You want that atmosphere in your favor. You need everything you can have in your favor. Absolutely, it, it's just it like feels oh, they like won like all those games game. on the road. Yes, yeah, so what? So what? This isn't those games. This isn't those teams. You are if you're playing for that championship, you want it packed. Yep. So, all right, a lot to go there. That's um, that's today's show. Let's tell them Wednesday we're going to do uh, People Vast, and we're going to try to, if we were commissioner, although we are pushing for Keith to get the job. Yes. If we get Keith the job, what are his top targets for expansion? Uh, I w- also, first of all, my first order of business would be um, hire me. I was gonna, no, I was going to say oh, cho- chocolate fountains at the SoCon tournament uh, hotels, like where the teams are. The, where the teams are, they're like the fan hotels, those chocolate fountains and all of them. Preferably in the lobbies, the bigger the better. But yes, we will have a conference realignment membership wish list on Wednesday. 
And I've got mine pretty much ready to go. Honestly, I wanted to do it today, but Jay just needed more time. So that's on tap for Wednesday. We'll look more in-depth at the SoCon playoff postseason picture on the Jay and Keith Show on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.